Again, my name is Travis Benson, co-director of the Respect Life Office. My wife Kelly and I um, run that ministry for the diocese, and part of what we do is go out to parishes to speak to the youth, to, um, to the kids, to the adults, all different formats and all different types of issues. Um, you know, dealing with the respect and dignity of human life from conception to natural death. So it's great to be here tonight. As you can see, uh, I got my handy dandy clicker. So this is something I like to play with. Can everybody see that little red dot there? Okay, I won't be me in the eye, I promise. The title of this talk is The Art of Pro-Life Persuasion. Um, as this talk goes through, um, we're going to have a little game here tonight. I'm going to have different works of art. And I would like for you to try to guess two things. Number one, the name of that work of art. And number two, who painted it. Okay, so the artist. So can anybody tell me what this is? Speak out. Anyone? This is a real easy one. Who? That's right. And where does, by whom? Michelangelo. Where's it hanging? Sistine Chapel, that's right, the creation of, a creation of Adam. Again, the art of pro-life persuasion. I realize this talk might be a little heavy, might be a little pretentious, you know, it's an art, but, you know, when the word art is used, we often think of the professionals, those trained, those who have experience, the real artist, okay? But that doesn't necessarily, is the, isn't the fullness of the truth there. Art applies to all of us, okay? The definition of art is this, is the process or product of deliberately arranging elements in a way that appeal to the senses, okay? Appeal to the senses and the emotions of humans, okay? It can, it can, including, it can include a diverse range of, of activities, of creations, modes of expression, including speech, music, and also literature. So again, that's what art is. G.K. Chesterton once said, art like morality consists of drawing the line somewhere. Okay, I'm going to repeat that. Art, like morality, consists of drawing the line somewhere. Okay, exactly. That's what we're talking about in pro-life persuasion, is drawing the line. Okay, oftentimes drawing a very clear line in the sand of things that we should do and those things that we should not do as society. Pro-life persuasion is a form of art. It is drawing the necessary line. With this talk, I'm going to give you some necessary building blocks, okay, that you can then go and take and use for your pro-life persuasion and advocacy. You know, a good artisan, which is what you are as a pro-life Catholic, always wants to better their trade, is always looking at honing their craft. So that's what we're trying to do. It's not an all-inclusive talk tonight. We cannot cover every issue, every subject, every objection, and every answer. We just don't have the time. Okay? But we're going to try to give you some things to keep in mind and some things to watch out for when you engage in this art of persuading people on pro-life. Second sign, to persuade or not to persuade. Anybody tell me what this picture is? Anyone? How about this guy? Who do you think that guy is? Socrates, okay? This one is titled The Death of Socrates, and it's by a Frenchman, Jacques-Louis David, okay? And when the reason I picked this is this is before Socrates took the poison, okay? And notice what he's doing here. He's speaking to the end. 
He's persuading right to the end to all the people he is talking to. So I thought this was very telling. And persuade or not persuade, the title is, of course, a play on Shakespeare's popular phrase, to be or not to be, from Hamlet. Okay? But this question is a question we all need to ask ourselves. To persuade or not to persuade. You know, we are always going to be asked to do something. Okay? The Holy Spirit's going to be asking us to do something in certain situations. And opportunities are going to arise. And we're going to have to make a decision. Are we going to enter into this persuasion or are we going to choose not to? Okay, to persuade or not to persuade. We are all called to be pro-life artisans. Okay, again, to be able to communicate the good news, all right, the good news of Jesus Christ, the dignity and respect that we must have for every single human life. It's our goal as a pro-life Catholic, as an artisan, to be able to plant the seed. Okay, you've all heard that phrase, right? We're planting seeds here. Okay? We might not be successful at the start, but somewhere down the line, at some place, what you say to somebody will have an effect. Okay? And it may trigger something 5, 10, 15 years down the road, but it will have an effect. This is a responsibility of ours that just does not fall on our bishop. Okay? It's not Bishop Swain's responsibility. It's not your parish priest's responsibility. It's our responsibility as lay Catholics to be pro-life artisans. Okay? You may think that... Um, uh, that it doesn't fall on our shoulders, but it does, okay? Why? Because if we're going to proclaim to follow our master, okay? If we're going to proclaim to be Christians and follow Jesus Christ, we have to do so whether it's convenient or not convenient, okay? Second Timothy 4, it talks about persistence in proclaiming the word of God, okay? In season and out of season, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient, and to convince and to encourage through patience and understanding, Okay? We are called to be active artisans, all right? A passive artist is, artist is really a talent wasted, right? Have you ever known somebody who's really good at something and they just don't engage it? Okay? They don't engage that gift of the Holy Spirit? And I like to think of that as a wasted talent. Okay? Again, we are called not only to be pro-life, we are called to be active, to go out into the world, to evangelize, to teach, to proclaim. This is all our responsibility, even though if we don't think we're very good at it, okay? How many here have a struggle with this sometimes? Anyone? Okay. Sometimes it's just, eh, I really don't want to do this. Sometimes it's easier just to let it go. Mother Angelica, everybody know whose Mother Angelica is, EWTN? She had this once to say, and I think it's great. Mother Angelica once said, God is not hindered if he wants to use you, whether you are holy or perfect, imperfect, whether you are good or bad, God can speak through an ass if he wants to. And he did. Okay? Remember, that's how he spoke to Balaam the prophet in Numbers. All right? So what she's saying there is God can speak through an ass. He can certainly speak through you. All right? Sometimes that may cross, but it's a point well taken. All right? So again, speak up. It makes a difference. Persevere. Okay? Persevere in your persuasion. The Holy Spirit is going to provide you with that grace. The battle rages on. All right? The battle rages on. Anyone guess what artwork is this is? Anybody seen it before? Nobody? Okay, well, I guess you're going to have a hard time guessing what it is. This is a work of art titled The Tempest, or The Bride of the Wind. And it's by a, uh, a, a, an artist named Oscar Kokowska, and he was an Australian artist. Okay, and he was talking about the temptation of life and the evil in the world. 
okay? So it's signifying this painting, the battle that we are engaged in, the spiritual battle, the battle against good versus evil versus the culture of death and the culture of life. We have to remember that we are in a culture war, okay? Pope John Paul II was a very great man, and he was a great man in the deadly, deadliest century of the world. Throughout all history, the last century was the deadliest century in the world. And Pope John Paul had the courage to tell us how it really is. Okay? He told us that we live in a culture of death. We live and experience that every single day of our lives. That's right, our culture, in his culture, in Italy, and in his beloved Poland, but also especially in the United States. Okay? What we do in the United States as a leader of the free world affects everybody in the world, all corners of the world. So the example we set in this culture of death has influence and it, and, it, and it tells people what direction they should or should not go. See with the eyes of faith, Second Kings. What I'm trying to say here is we need to be aware, okay? We need to be opening our eyes to what is happening in the world. Many people today just don't see that there is even a problem, okay? How many times have you spoken to somebody at work or maybe in your family, and to you it's an obvious, clear-cut issue, and to them it's like, it's not even on my radar screen, all right? We need to understand that. You need to understand that what we know is truth, someone else has no idea or no clue about, okay? Have that framework when you go out and evangelize. We need to see the culture through our Catholic faith, all right? And if we don't see what is happening, we will have dulled senses, okay? Things will become more and more dull, and it won't be something that we will be able to pick up on. What is happening again right now is a war on the dignity of the human person. There's a war going on against the, res the respect that we have for families, okay? Humans claim the right to be the authors of truth, all right? And to be able to create their own truth in order to fit their own needs. And if we can do that, everything and anything is possible, okay? Anything and everything can be possible. Here's an obvious example. The Netherlands, one of the most liberal countries in Europe, all right? Listen to this. In the Netherlands, if you are over 18, all you have to do is write out a simple declaration, a written statement that you want somebody to euthanize you, okay? And if you do that, it will happen, all right? They also allow teenagers, the age 16 through 18, to request and to receive euthanasia or assisted suicide as long as, quote, a parent or guardian must have been involved in the decision process. But the parent or guardian does not need to agree with the decision of the 16 or the 18-year-old, all right? In the Netherlands, for those children who are ages 12 to 16, they can request euthanasia and will receive it as long as it is, quote, the parent or the guardian who agrees with the termination of life, all right? And for those children under the age of 12 in the Netherlands, there's what's called the Groningen Protocol. And this protocol was drawn up between the prosecutor's office and the Physicians Guild or the Physicians Medical Association. And what it was is it allows those doctors to be able to euthanize, to kill disabled children, disabled newborn children, all right? As long as their parents ask them to. And you know what the guideline is? Those children, quote, with no hope for the future, okay? So how broad is that, okay? Also in the Netherlands, um, 
we have this Groningen protocol that affects and endangers p patients with no free will. So those would include the dementia patients, um, those who may be mentally challenged, all right? Those who are comatose or in a PVS state. That's what's happening when we believe ourselves to be the authors of truth, okay? Anything and everything can happen. We need to pray like the prophet um, Elijah that we find in 2 Kings, that God will open our eyes to see what is really happening. Just like he opened the eyes of the young man in 2 Kings. And when that young man saw all the angels surrounding Elijah, okay? Remember that story where the king brought all his forces forth and it seemed like a very, very um, hard time and things weren't going to happen? And, the, and Elijah said, do not be afraid. And Elijah prayed to God to open the servant's eyes. And at that time, he saw all the angels, all the angels coming down to help them fight that spiritual battle. The second is, know the root cause of the culture of death. Okay? We have to understand this. Because if we don't have these fundamental principles in mind, we're not going to be as effective in our persuasion. All right? So, what is the cause of the culture of death? You know, of course, we know that it is sin. Okay? It's the work of the great tempter, Satan. But I want to dig a little deeper here. What kind of sin are we talking about? What do you think is at the root of the culture of death? Anybody? Anyone? Right here. Selfishness. Selfishness. That's a good, very good answer. Not what I'm thinking about, but, it, but it's very close. Okay? A lot of people will say abortion. Okay? They'll say abortion is at the root of the culture of death. But that's not the case. Abortion is one of the many tragic and deadly effects of this root of the culture of death, okay? No, something else. And what that is, is a disordered, twisted, counterfeit understanding of our human sexuality, okay? And that is what is at the root of this culture of death that we're talking about. You all heard of Christopher West, I assume. You know, he's a popular commentator on theology of the body. He says this, the heart of the Christian mystery the mystery of life, for that matter, is the question of who we are as man and woman. Okay? Man and woman, as sexual beings, our masculinity and our femininity, made in the image of God. Okay? This question of human sexuality equals the question of human existence. Why are we here? Why are we here created in the image of God? Remember this. The reality of human existence is relying upon and fundamentally connected to this understanding of human sexuality. All right? The sexual revolution, you know, the culture that we're living in is promoting the breakdown of the healthy understanding of this human sexuality, okay? All in the name of liberty, all in the name of freedom, all right? And if a sexual relationship between a man of, and a woman is disordered, all right? If it is not oriented properly and, and oriented towards love and life, okay? The relationship is ultimately gonna be damaged. It's gonna break down, all right? And when this begins to break down, the relationship between man and woman, marriage is going to break down. And when marriage breaks down, the family begins to break down. And when the family begins to break down as the primary cell of society, society begins to break down, okay? Things happen, everything happens for a reason, and everything is connected here. So the result, it, again, if, when, with this disordered understanding of human sexuality, ultimately is gonna to lead to the culture of death, okay? A physician must diagnose the root cause of an illness, right? When you go to the doctor, you want him not just to treat the external injury, but if there's something deeper, you want him to get to that root cause, right? That's what we need to understand. 
What is at the root of the culture of death? I have some flyers there, okay? Theology of the Body flyers. If you haven't been exposed to this teachings from John Paul, please take that flyer. Take some time to visit those websites. Maybe purchase the, the books that are there for Christopher West. It's really going to transform the way you look at pro-life ministry. And I want to share with you a quote from John Paul in Evangelium Vitae. And, the, and, the, and he, John Paul says this, It is an illusion to think that we can build a true culture of human life if we do not help the young to accept and experience human sexuality and love and the whole of human life according to their true meaning and their close interconnection. Sexuality, okay? Sexuality, which enriches the whole person, manifests its utmost meaning in leading the person to the gift of self and love. The trivialization of sexuality is among the principal factors which have led to a contempt, contempt for new life, okay? Which has led to the contempt for new life, which we are experiencing right now. Fighting fog with a baseball bat. Anybody know what this work of art is? All right, I'll give you a hint. It's called Patch in the Sun of Fog. Okay, it's the London Parliament. The artist is a man by, with his last name starts with an M. Who? Michelangelo? Nope. Monet. Monet, that's right. Usually when we give a talk to kids and we ask them questions, we have candy bars that we throw out to them when they get the right answer. But I don't have any candy bars tonight, so I'm going to rely on you to get active and answer some of these questions. Yeah, I, I won't be passing out beer tonight either. But again, this is um, Monet's uh, Patch in the Fog in the Sun of the Fog. And the point I'm trying to make here is that you need to choose your pro-life tools carefully. Okay, again, artisans have tools, right? Sculptures have tools. Artists have tools. Clay, people who mold clay have tools. You need to have tools too when you persuade people on life issues, okay? You need, also need to keep in mind that certain tools and certain strategies may not work in every situation, all right? A baseball bat is very effective and hitting a 90 mile an hour fastball, okay? It has its purpose, all right? However, a baseball bat is ineffective in trying to fight fog, all right? What happens when you swing a baseball bat at fog? It's a whiff, right, okay? All you are doing is, is using energy and, and, and effort, and that's going to waste. So again, use the right tools at the right place at the right time. Prepare yourself for different arguments using different tools depending on your audience, okay? Find common ground. This is very important as one of the tools in your arsenal, okay? An excellent strategy is to first find something that you have in common with the person that you're trying to persuade, okay? Something that you both can agree on from the start. Lay the groundwork, establish the foundation, build your relationship, and this starts to plant trust in the other person, right? When you can have this common experience, all right, let's say you start out your pro-life persuasion um, by telling somebody they are pro-death by being pro-choice, all right? What's gonna be the reaction? That's a baseball bat approach, all right, in persuasion. And it's not gonna be successful because the guards are gonna come up and they're automatically gonna build up walls. So again, use the tools that God has given you and use them wisely, okay? Perhaps you can find common ground by having a shared experience with somebody, all right? For example, um, my wife and I, Kelly, we're the lobbyists for the diocese, so we move our family up to Pierre every year, and we lobby on behalf of Bishop Swain and the diocese and you at the state capitol. And there was one day 
I was talking with an, a lobbyist, and she was a young gal, very bright, very intelligent, as pro-sex education, as pro-contraception, as pro-abortion as you can be, okay? We are at polar opposites, polar opposites. You would not think that we could find anything in common to try to come to this common ground, all right? And what we were talking about is she was supporting a bill, which the diocese was opposing, to try to make contraception, oral contraception pills, mandated through insurance coverage, all right? And we fought that bill, and we, and we got it defeated. But she was wondering, and she just couldn't figure out why. Why would we do this? Okay? To her, to have insurance covered, um, and companies be forced to require oral contraceptions through their health plans was a matter of justice. All right? And if we didn't, it was discrimination against women. Okay? One of the arguments she used is um, insurance health plans cover Viagra for men. Right? Okay? The men get stuff that's needed, but why don't the women? All right. One of the arguments I said is Viagra is treating an underlying medical pathology. Okay. It's, it's trying to help the man restore himself to normal health, normal healthy engagement. All right. Uh, whereas chemical contraception is doing exactly opposite to the woman. Okay. It's not treating an illness. It's causing an illness. It's causing the body to function in a way it was not meant to. Okay. This got absolutely nowhere with her. All right. Nothing. Okay. So I thought to myself, all right. I got to approach this from a different way. Find some common ground. How can I reach out to her? How can I start to build a relationship with her? So then we talked about the choices we make as consumers. Okay, I talked to a ta I started to talk to her about oral contraception and how the big pharmaceutical companies and how the government is always pushing this on women. All right, I talked to her about in spite of all the contraindications that oral contraception comes with and the many side effects, our society is pushing this on women. You, don't notice, you notice there's not a pill for the man, right? It's a pill for the woman, all right? And I tried to engage her with that. And we talked about the choices that Kelly and I make as in our marriage, all right? And how um, we do not use oral contraception and how I would never ask my wife to pump her body full of chemicals that are unnecessary and that are going to adversely affect her body. I talked to her about how Kelly and I have recently made the decision to eat organically and naturally, to try to ingest natural foods with our children and with our families. All right. I told her that we even get, except hot wings, sometimes we have an exception. I talked to her about um, how we even get raw milk delivered to our door by a Mennonite farmer every Friday and how the kids are so excited when Larry the milkman comes with the real cow's milk, okay? And you know, so I'm, again, I'm trying to establish this relationship. Um, you see, this lobbyist was also into a healthy and organic living of a lifestyle, all right? And she, she understood this and she could appreciate. I went to a place of familiarity with her. And in doing so, I made her think about oral contraception in a way she would have never thought of before. Did I convince her? No. What did I do though? Plant the seed, right? Planting the seed, okay? And then she came back with the next question. All right, well, if you don't use oral contraception, what do you use? Or are you just a quiverful, okay? So again, that led right into the conversation of NFP and how we use NFP in our marriage and the successes and the benefits of, of natural family planning and also sometimes the challenges. All right, so it's interesting that this is again an example of laying the groundwork, trying to find some common ground. You know what else happened that day? A lobbyist 
who was listening in on our conversation came up to me later and said, you know, I appreciate that. I never thought of it that way. I never understood it that way. Okay? So the point I'm trying to make with that is the Holy Spirit moves in ways we don't even know. All right? So again, remember, one heart, one mind at a tool at a time. Excuse me. Another tool. Develop an elevator speech. Anybody in here, businessman or salesman? Saleswoman? Anybody sell for a living? No. You guys are a hard crowd tonight. <laughs> Every good salesman has in his back pocket what is referred to as the elevator speech. Okay? Anybody heard of that phrase before? Elevator speech. Okay, it's a pitch, right? It's a strong pitch that conveys a message in about the time it takes to ride an elevator from the top floor to from the bottom floor to the top or the top to the bottom. Alright? It is based on the principle that you only get a one shot sometimes. And sometimes you have limited time, so make the best use of it. This persuasion strategy can be used effectively in many situations where you're trying to convey and persuade a pro-life message. Okay? Again, do you ever feel as if your tongue is tied? All right? Are you ever nervous? Okay? When you, when you know that this topic's going to come up and you don't want to speak about it with this person, maybe you're um, intimidated by this other person. An elevator speech, well-practiced, well-rehearsed, ready to go, can give you um, an introduction to that topic, okay? And you can present yourself as, as ready and, and confident and assured in your position, and that, in turn, can lead into other directions, all right? How about this one? Have you ever thought about why it is we have a democratic system of government? Well, government's first and primary role is to protect inalienable human rights. The, the first and primary inalienable, inalienable human right is the right to life, okay? To be able to live and to breathe, all right? Therefore, every good democratic government must always first and foremost protect innocent human life from those who which will do it harm, okay? That's why we have the military. That's why we have the police. That's why we have the National Guard, okay? We're protecting human life. And our elected officials must not promote laws that allow the direct destruction of human life, whether that's through abortion or euthanasia. A government that allows this to happen is ultimately is going to fail. It's going to self-destruct. Elevator speech, okay? Example of that. So think about that on different topics, different areas. What is your elevator speech going to be? Next, sometimes you don't know the answer, but, all right? Sometimes you don't know the answer, but that is okay, okay? Sometimes you may not have the answer right off the top of your head. When I was in private practice in, in Minnesota, um, representing clients, I would have to, uh, often they would come in and ask various questions, all right? Sometimes I didn't know the answer, okay? But what I told them was this. I said, you would rather, tell, you would rather have me advise you on to what I know rather than what I think, okay? There's a clear distinction there. Talk to people about what you know, not what you think the answer is. Because if you tell them something that you think it is but you don't have it right, you're doing not only yourself a disservice, but you're doing them a disservice, okay? So there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know the answer to that, but let me get back to you. I am going to go find the answer. I will do the research, and I will give you a call, or I will meet you back here at this water fountain tomorrow uh, during our lunch break, all right? That is what you need to do. It's okay to admit that you don't know, because people understand that. They respect that because it's sincere, all right? It's coming from the heart. So don't think, just because I don't know, I, it's done or I need to say something because what you may have pop out may not be correct. But make sure you follow up and tell that person you're going to get back to them with the right answer. And then do it, okay? 
fight the urge to just let it go, all right? Don't do that. Find the answer, get back to the person, and then continue with the conversation. All right, how about this one? How many people have seen this work of art? Okay, what is it? What's the title? What's that? Good. All right, very, very good. Who's the artist? Grant Wood. Good job. Excellent. So again, um, why did I pick this? Prepare yourself for a personal attack. All right. How much more personal can you get than the look on this guy's face? <laughs> All right. What's he holding in his arm here? Pitchfork. That gets personal real fast, real quick. And did you know that, I'll go back here. I read when I was reading about this, um, that the pitchfork is also reflected in his shirt. Have you ever seen that? It's also reflected in the contours of his face. And it's also reflected in the way that he has designed the house. So the drapes and the dress match. Where, Kelly? The drapes and the dress match. The drapes and the dress match, right. Her dress. They don't look very happy. They don't look very happy, right. So again, prepare yourself for a personal attack. And what do I mean by that? Life issues, okay? Emotional, all right? Passionate, okay? Why does these issues always come to the forefront? Because they are filled with emotion. They are filled with passion. And when you tell somebody that they are supporting an intrinsic evil by supporting embryonic stem cell research, okay, that goes to the heart. All right? That's a tough nut to swallow for someone. Okay? When you say evil and equate that with something that they support or something they defend or something they promote. So we need to understand that. And we need to prepare ourselves that the reaction may get personal, okay? It may come back in a way that we not be, may not be expecting, all right? So prepare yourself for that. Like it or not, if you speak the truth, you will prick the conscience of the person you are speaking to, okay? That's just the way it is, okay? Somewhere down the line, it may not be right there, but somewhere down the line, you will prick the conscience, all right? And I like this quote from C.S. Louis, uh, Lewis. He says, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Okay, C.S. Lewis. Every square inch is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Okay, this is the realm you are entering into. All right, and we need to understand there is a spiritual realm out there. Okay, and as Catholics, we need to have an understanding of that realm, understanding of that battle. Not to be fearful of it, but to be understanding of it. All right. Um, I lost my spot here. Oh, one point I want to make is one of the main tactics, again, of somebody who is personally offended is to um, argue from what is known as ad hominem. Okay, anybody heard of that phrase before? The Latin, it, it, it's ad hominem, which is argumentum ad hominem, and what it means is that the person is going to come back to you in a personal way, all right? They don't want to talk about the issue. So they're going to come back to you and attack something about your personality or something about your background or something about that to skirt the true issue and try to, quote, win the argument by going against you as a person. How about this? For example, why are you so intolerant? Okay. How many here have heard that phrase? You are so intolerant. Or why do we have to be intolerant? All right. You're going to hear this. It may not be in that phrase, but it's going to be in some way that they're trying to communicate that message. Despite what our culture says, tolerance is not one of the seven virtues. All right? 
prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance, faith, hope, charity, all virtues. Tolerance is not in that list, all right? Um, this person may accuse you of being judgmental or maybe narrow-minded. And they'll say, we live in a pluralistic society. And as a pluralistic society, we need to exercise tolerance of other people's beliefs, of other people's rights, even if we don't agree with them, okay? But doesn't it seem in our society today that one of the greatest sins that you can commit, quote, sins, is to be intolerant, okay? But the cry of tolerance here oftentimes is really nothing other than an attempt, again, to avoid the issue, an attempt to give you a guilt complex, to place that on your shoulders so that you back away, okay? It's, it's, a, it's an attempt to try to silence the opposition that you're trying to give to that position, okay? I proudly admit that I, is an, I am as intolerant as a, you can be of abortion, okay? I am intolerant of abortion. I am intolerant of this injustice. I am intolerant of this intrinsic evil as it takes place in our state, as it takes place in our country, all right? Millions of children are killed in the United States every year. Many, many, many women, um, many, many, many fathers and families are scarred by abortion, all right? But think about this. Isn't the person that accuses you as a pro-life person of being intolerant really also being intolerant of your right to speak out against this injustice? Okay, that's a point that you can make to this person, all right? You are being intolerant of my position and my right to speak out and try to work to, to decrease or to eliminate this injustice. Tolerance is a good thing. I'm not saying it's not, okay? Tolerance is a principle that enables us to live in peace with other peoples and to be able to live with their ideas and their cultures and their, and their, and their, and their idiosyncrasies. Um, but it's not the end of itself. This is what Archbishop Chaput has to say about tolerance. He says, as Christians, our duty is not to tolerate other people, but to love them, okay? Not to tolerate, but to love them, which is much more demanding. He continues, pluralism is a demographic fact and nothing more. It does not mean every idea or belief is equal because they are not. Yes, we live in a diverse country and we must respect each other, but pluralism doesn't mean we mute our convictions or stand quiet to injustice. Remember this, be tolerant of the person, tolerance of the dignity of the human being, but being tolerant of the act is a very different thing from being tolerant of the, of the person. We not only tolerate those women who have abortions, but we love them. We embrace and we, and we bring them in, but we never tolerate the act that they have committed against their child and that they're committing against themselves and committing against their God, okay? How about this personal attack? You take the baby, okay? What do I mean by this, okay? This is an example of a person who's going, who may say, you're hypocritical, okay? You're pro-life, right, okay? But unless you are willing to adopt all the babies you don't want aborted, you're not really pro-life, okay? I don't know if you've heard that argument or if somebody has said that to you, but that's another example, okay? Yes, we are all called and we are all willing to help in the way that we can in our certain situation, okay? Not everybody can adopt a child, okay? But you can do something in some way to help the women out, all right? That's why there's crisis pregnant centers. That's why there's adoption agencies like Catholic Family Services. That's why there's the Diocesan Mother Teresa Endowment to help women who are who are in crisis pregnancy situations. But let's just assume for the sake of argument that pro-lifers aren't willing to do this, okay, in some way or some manner. Even if 
we accepted that premise, which is not true, does this still justify dismembering a defenseless human child limb by limb in the mother's womb? No. Okay, that argument still cannot justify the act. Let me give you how bizarre would it be? How bizarre would it sound if someone um, went to argue this? Unless you are willing to marry and carry care for my wife, you have no right to oppose my verbal abuse of her. You have no right to oppose the physical abuse that I have of my wife. Okay? If somebody said that, you would say, you're way off, right? Okay? But it's the same argument. Okay? Personal attacks deflect us from talking about the real issues, which is that every human person has dignity from the moment of conception. Don't let the issue get sidetracked. Okay? Bring the personal attack back to the issue. Call them on it. Okay? So again, a tool to recognize what may happen. All right, this is a, a tougher one. Anybody know what this one is titled? Everybody knows who this is, right? Who is this? Okay, so it's in the title, The Expulsion of Adam and Eve. Okay, And this is by an early Italian Renaissance artist. His name, and I'm going to probably massacre it, um, does anybody speak Italian? No? Here's the, here's the artist's name. It's um, Masaccio. Okay? Masaccio was the name of the artist. All right? And this is a fresco which hangs in one of the churches in Italy. All right? Again, Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden. I'm sorry? No. It's, it's M. Masaccio. Masaccio. All right? Here we see this painting again, the expulsion of the Garden Eden, okay? Adam and Eve knew what they were doing when they took that apple. How many of here have ever walked beans? Right there, walked beans. Okay, as a kid, did you walk beans? All right, grew up on a farm? So did I, okay? When you walk beans, what happens is this, is that you start at one end of the field, and oftentimes these rows can be a half mile long. And what you're doing, and oftentimes you can't even see the other side. And what you're doing is you're going through and pulling the weeds. And this was before a lot of the broadband, um, you know, chemicals that we have, the, the, uh, the um, you know, the chemicals that they spray now, like Banville and stuff. They don't walk beans anymore because they're so effective. Well, they didn't used to be that effective, so you had to go through and walk the beans. And I remember um, thinking, as I'm hour after hour, day after day, week after week of walking these bean fields, why did Adam and Eve have to bite the apple? Okay? Why? If they didn't, I there would be no weeds, and I would not have to walk these bean fields. All right? Gardens. Anybody have gardens? No? No gardeners in here? Same premise. Why do you have to go out and pull all those weeds in the garden? Or the dandelions in your lawn? All right? There's a reason. Okay? Adam and Eve brought sin into the world. All right? They knew what they would die if they ate from the tree. Yet their desire to be like gods, okay? Their desire to be like gods won out over God's direction, okay? Our culture is no different today. We're still living the same sin, okay? The desire to be our own God, to be in charge of our own life, to do what we desire with little or no self-control. This leads to all the things that happen in our society today. And then here's an interesting point. What did Adam do when God said, when God came to him? Anybody? He blamed his sins on Eve, right? Not me, her. Look at her. Okay? That's, she made me do it. Okay? And just as our society won't take responsibility today for our own sinfulness, following in the footsteps of Adam. 
Adam and Eve chose death at the temptation of the devil for their desires to be an all-knowing and all-like God. And in doing so, they really rejected God at that point and at that time. And many today reject God. Okay? Many today reject him and deny his work in our lives. And what is the rejection and denial of God? It's really a rejection and denial of truth. Okay? Okay? Truth. When in doubt, change the subject. All right? The point I'm trying to make here is, is this denial of truth often manifests itself in a way in which the person you're trying to persuade refuses to address the primary issue. Okay? Boom. They head off in every other single direction. Um, Father Jonathan, he's a priest commentator for Fox News. Okay, who all gets Fox News in their house? All right, you've seen Father Jonathan on Fox News? Okay, great witness for the church. He was brought on to debate Phil Donahue. Okay, and what they were talking about was Notre Dame's invitation to President Obama to come to give the commencement speech and to give an honorary degree in law. All right, and, and what happened was Father Jonathan was great in pointing out how hard Phil Donahue was dodging the central question, all right, of whether Notre Dame should be given the president an honorary degree in law when, in fact, every law that president has ever worked on regarding abortion or embryonic stem cell research or other life issues or family were in direct opposition to what the church, Notre Dame, professes to defend and to proclaim, all right? So we had Donahue focusing on nine known negatives, all right? He talked about the sexual abuse scandal. He talked about the declining priest. He talked about woman's ordination. And Father Jonathan, every time Donahue said that, he said, you're getting off track. Go back to the issue. But the reporter got it. She understood what was happening. And she then asked Donahue this question. She said, would it be appropriate for a Jewish university to invite a known anti-Semite on the campus to give the commencement and not only give the commencement but give them an honorary degree in law okay the reporter at i'm sorry the reporter asked that question not even father jonathan the reporter what was donahue's response what do you think it was what do you think it was Dodge, right? He said, well, the church doesn't have a very good history in, in, in Jewish relationship throughout time. <laughs> so again, Father Jonathan says, another one. Let's go back. I'm willing to talk to you about Jewish relations and church history as all we want. Even in fact, I'll go on your own show, Phil. But let's talk about the central issue. All right? He called them on it. So again, keep your focus. Okay? Don't allow the person to change the subject. Don't chase after red herrings, right? Don't chase after red herrings. How about this one? Know that modern society will believe almost anything, okay? Um, I, I talked about this. I touched on it before, okay? What is obvious to us is obviously not obvious to someone else that we're trying to persuade, all right? We have to understand that this is what we're up against. Truth has been thrown out the door, discarded, or dismissed, all right? We know that there is truth. You know, the full deposit of the truth is in our Catholic faith. But that is not what others accept. All right? Dostoevsky once said, without God, all is possible. All right? And what he meant by that is remove God, and everything and anything again is up for grabs. Um, take abortion again, for example. One third of all Amer American children, on the average, over 800 per year, 
in South Dakota alone, most of them taking place on the building on 41st Street, which has no windows facing the street, all right? They're dying here, all right? They're killed in their mother's womb before they are born, all in the name of choice, all in the name of freedom, all in the name of this perverse understanding of liberty, okay? Dr. Peter Kreft, he's a Boston College professor and philosopher. Anybody read any of his works? Okay, we have some nods of the heads. Great, great defender of the faith. He tells the story of a doctor friend that he had from Canada. And this doctor friend went to the Congo and went to a tribe which was, which was immersed in the jungle, had absolutely hardly any contact with the outside world. Okay, very primitive, very isolated, very um, secluded. All right? And this doctor went in because the tribe was dying because of mal malnutrition okay? and, and, and improper diet. And this doctor was a dietitian, so what he went in and he helped them. And he basically saved the tribe. And he developed a relationship with them and they began to trust him. And, the, and they would ask him lots of questions. Okay? What is the outside world like? What is modern society like? What happens? Okay? Because they were very interested in this, you know? And they, and they actually believed all the amazing things that this doctor told him. Um, they believed, even, that you could fly to the moon, all right? Imagine that as a person who has never seen a TV or never driven in a car or never had an iPod or never sat in, in and went on Facebook. <laughs> they believed him because they trusted him when, they, when he told this primitive tribe that you can fly to the moon, all right? They also believed that um, you could destroy an entire city with the push of a button in one bomb. They believed that, okay? But the doctor tells the story, there were two things these, these people could not believe, okay? They could not believe, in spite of what the doctor told them, that there are people in this world who are atheists, that do not believe in God, okay? They couldn't believe that. They said, no gods, not one god, not many gods, not good bad gods, not bad gods, not gods of the sun, not gods in the moon, no gods. They couldn't grasp that. They said, this person who believes this must have been thrown into um, a cell and chained at, at very early in life. They couldn't understand that. Here's the other thing. The second thing that they could not believe is that one nation alone, America, again, over a million mothers each year pay doctors to kill their babies before they are, before they are born. They could not believe that. And the reaction was to giggle, okay? They giggled to this doctor because that's the way um, uh, of communicating their embarrassment. Okay? They were trying to be polite. They thought it was a joke. They could not believe that a mother would do this to their child. They had no place in their minds for this concept, all right? They expected every day that the doctor would come back and tell them the point of the joke, okay? And Dr. Kreef says this, who are the real primitives? Okay, who are the real primitives? All right, so again, the point here is modern society will believe almost anything. They can be convinced of many, many things which are not good for us. Um, Blessed Teresa of Calcutta um, sim uh, once simply said, you know, and everything she said was simple and it was to the point, but she said this once. She says, when a mother can kill her baby, what is left for civilization to save? When a mother can kill her baby, what is left for civilization to save? And again, we can believe anything. All right. How about this one? Is it a little dark? Can you see it in the back? What's the name? Who? Who said that? Oh, good job. 
The call of St. Matthew, right? And who painted this one? Oh, wow. Candy bar. <laughs> she said Caravaggio, all right? Yeah. Caravaggio, the call of St. Matthew, okay? And I think this is very telling, too, because these individuals here are sitting at the table in the public square. You know, they're conducting business here, right? St. Matthew, what's he doing here? What's he doing here? He's pointing. He's pointing at his chest. Where's the light coming from here? Who's speaking right here? Jesus, right? Come, Matthew. And he's saying, me? Okay. So this, again, is, 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 is the call of St. Matthew. And what I'm trying to point I'm trying to make here is that, you know, this, again, is taking place in the public square. It's, it's businessmen conducting business. It's counting coins here as a tax collector. In almost every discussion about morality, especially sexual morality, the conversation will ultimately lead to a discussion about religion and of faith and, and its role that those should play or should not play in the public square, in the private and public lives of individuals. Okay? We often have a twisted understanding of, of the meaning of the separation of church and state. Okay? In America, by the way our Constitution has been interpreted, not only by our courts, but by school boards and, and lower courts, what we are left with now is basically uh, a secular state. All right? A secular state that is practically relativistic, which means there is no truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. Let's just do our thing. And as long as you're not directly harming somebody, and even in fact, in some cases when you are, we're still going to allow this stuff to happen. Okay? This has been turned by the late Father Richard Newhouse as the naked public square. And that's what I mean. The naked public square is when you go to the public square, the public square is when you used to go and you used to speak, right? And people would gather in the public square around the courthouse, and you would bring in truths and you would debate, okay? And what that means is now we have a naked public square where religion is supposed to keep out, right? So what I'm trying to say is prepare for this argument. For many, if a law or public policy has a moral component, then religious groups, and especially the Catholic Church, Okay? They believe especially the Catholic Church should have no say okay, because the Constitution prohibits it. And they point to the First Amendment and they point to the separation of church and of state doctrine. All right? That's the end of their discussion. All right? How does this manifest itself? Keep your rosaries off my ovaries. How many here have seen the bumper sticker in town? You've seen it? I've seen it? You've seen it, Terry? Right. Keep your rosaries off my ovaries. All right? And what this is really saying is that Catholics should not impose your religion on us, right? You should not. Uh, it's something that strikes home the wide sentiment found in our culture, that the church has no business on speaking in public policy matters. But you ever notice how this cry to stay out of the public square, to keep your religion to yourself, is loudest when, again, it involves matters of human sexuality? Okay? When, it, when we're talking about contraception or in vitro fertilization or abortion, or embryonic stem cell research, or the defense of marriage and family, or euthanasia. But it's not as loud when the church speaks out on issues of poverty, is it? Or when the church speaks out on the issues of the rights of workers. Or when the church talks about the care of immigrants and the need to be good stewards of our environment. You don't hear that as loud as in you do when you, hit, when you talk about these matters of human sexuality. So be prepared for that.
I was once lobbying a bill. Uh, we had the diocese had some real problems with it, um, with its language and, and the effect it may have on South Dakotans. Um, and to make a long story short, the bill ended up getting tabled by the sponsor, which means he voluntarily pulled it off and, and, and it was basically killed for the rest of the session. Well, the main lobbyist who was trying to push this bill through was, um, was upset and he approached me one morning. And instead of talking about the merits of the bill, this lobbyist proceeded to tell me how disgusted, okay, how disgusted he was that the Catholic Church would come up to peer and force its religion on others, interfering with people's rights to make personal decisions. Okay? Okay, that's a paraphrase, but that's almost an exact quote from a lobbyist, a professional that works in peer with me. Okay? He didn't like that we were up there and thought we had no business being there. Now, to his credit, he came up later and apologized for his uh, unprofessionalism, but he did not notice he apologized for his position. Okay? And, you know, this opinion is strong in many circles, and we need to be aware of that. Now, think about it this way. This lobbyist represented a group out of Chicago, Uniform Commission, okay? And their job is to make all laws uniform throughout the state, whether it's probate laws, whether it's um, commercial practice laws. And in this issue, they were dealing with um, organ donation, okay? Organ donation, good. Church supports it, as long as it is, it is consensual, the person um, consents to it and it's freely consented to and as long as the the donation does not cause the death of the person but he was upset that we had helped kill the bill okay he represented this group out of Chicago I represent approximately hundred and thirty thousand Catholics in eastern South Dakota acting through Bishop Swain okay acting through Bishop Swain and all hundred and thirty thousand of these Catholics are citizens of this state taxpayers their children are going to our schools. They're engaged in business, all right? Think about that. Who has the greater claim to representation, to participation in government and setting public policy? This group out of Chicago, which has no citizens, or us here, living and breathing and living here in South Dakota? Let's talk a little bit about the separation of church and state, because you will hear this argument. Um, Free exercise clause of the First Amendment. Okay, you have to remember there's two clauses, free exercise and the establishment clause. Free exercise clause guarantees us the right as Catholics, as Christians, to exercise our faith, okay, which includes speaking out on public issues in the public square. The First Amendment clause, or excuse me, the establishment clause in the First Amendment does one thing, okay, it is meant to do one thing. It is meant to prohibit government from establishing a particular religion. That's it. Okay? In other words, it keeps government out of the churches. It does not, was not meant, as it was drafted, to keep the churches out of government. Because the church is who? It's us, right? Okay? We have that right and we have that responsibility to be engaged. Um, think about it. The truths of the faith that we address in public policy can be understood, accepted, and applied by people of all faiths. Even the atheist understands that you should not kill an innocent human being. Okay? This is according to natural law. It's written on the hearts and minds of everyone. You do not have to be a person of faith. Okay? We don't go to peer to lobby for the diocese to indoctrinate our statutes with dogmas of the faith. 
Okay? If the diocese put in a bill to make everyone believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Blessed Sacrament, that would be a violation of the First Amendment, okay? Because it's done imposing our religion on someone else. But that's not what we do. We speak on issues of public policy. Here's one. Science rules, religion drools, all right? This is a play on a popular phrase for, young, uh, for many young people. Girls rule, boys drool, okay? All right, you've heard that phrase? Um, so I'm playing on that, but I think it's fitting for this purpose. It does capture the sentiment of many, okay? People argue that science is objective, it's empirical, all right? They'll argue that religion is not. Um, they'll argue that science is pragmatic. They'll argue that religion is subjective. And therefore, religious ideology should never trump or impede any scientific progress, okay? And no more clear is this line of thought made than in the issue of embryonic stem cell research. Again, just this session, we had a bill placed in which would um, repeal all the protections our statutes have prohibiting the illicit destruction of embryos for science purposes, all right? Again, a lobbyist for the South Dakota State Medical Association testified on this bill and that it was needed and said this. He said this. He said, God gave us brains and expects us to use them. Otherwise, how would we be flying across continents and putting rocket ships on Mars? If the reverse were true, we'd still be walking on the ground. Okay? His point was, we have to let science go where it needs to go, regardless of what we think it should or should not do. Okay? Obviously, this line of thinking is completely lacking in any ethical or moral considerations. There are many things scientists have the ability to do, but should not because it is moral and ethically wrong. Remember this point when somebody makes an argument similar to this. Remember this point. Science has everything to do, um, excuse me, science has everything to say about what is possible, all right? Science has everything to say about what is possible. However, it has very little to say about what is permissible, okay? That's where the moral reasoning comes into play. That's where the moral delivery. You and I, we all have to live within moral and ethical limits. We have to live within moral and ethical li limits in our professions and in our jobs and how we live our family life, how we treat our spouse, how we treat our children. Science is no different. They have to be grounded in ethical rules, all right? Science, scientists operating without moral, without moral limits can get scary real quick, all right? So um, don't give in to this mystique of scientism, all right? And that's what it is. It's, it's, it's almost a religion in and of itself for a lot of people, uh, that they believe science should be able to do whatever it wants, whenever it can, without any limits. I love this phrase, St. Ignatius of Antioch. Kind of sums up the point I'm trying to make. Just beg for me the courage and endurance, not only to speak, but also to will what is right, so that I may not only be called a Christian, but prove to be one. All right. My dad was driving across South Dakota one day, and he, he stopped in a, one of those small-town bars. You know, the real small towns, they have what left? A bar and a church sometimes, right? So he stopped in there, and he went up to the bartender, and, and right above the bar there was this sign, and it said this. He says, it said, if somebody accuses you of being a Christian, will there be enough evidence to convict you? Okay, that's the point we're trying to make here. We're ending here. 
What is this? What? Right, that's right. Everybody hear that? Okay, who painted this? Van Gogh. That's right, Van Gogh. Okay, and I think this is really, uh, the reason I put this in there is, is you see the church steeple here, right? It was said that Van Gogh painted this out of his uh, window from the uh, Assane Asylum. Okay, and what did he choose to put almost front and center? The steeple of a church and the wonder of creation and of the sky and of a starry night. Okay, we're, we're ending on a positive note here. Okay, and, and that's what we have to remember as pro-life artisans is that this is about um, defending truth because truth is reality. It is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the light. He is accessible to all who seek him with goodwill. Okay, and in him we know hope. All right, in Christ we know hope. Don't forget that when you're engaging in this battle of the culture of death. Okay, no matter how bad it seems, no matter how hard the road to conversion may be, all is possible with God. And he is working through his faithful people and will prevail over the evil in our day. One of the frequent prayers that we have in our family and in our, in our jobs at home and at work is, um, you know, we, we deal a lot with these issues. It gets depressing. It's like, when is it going to stop? It just keeps rolling. Krista talked about it. There's an avalanche coming. It's already occurred in the first 100 days of his, of his presidency, and we're going to see more and more. It's very easy to get depressed and to, and to have despair into, into this. But what we always go back to is um, a simple prayer, and I would encourage you to pray this, okay? Even while you're engaging in the persuasion, if you feel something coming on that's not good, that's not positive, pray this prayer. Jesus, I trust in you. Okay, Jesus, I trust in you. And where does this simple prayer come from? Where do we get this simple prayer? Good guess, no? Who said that? Who said St. Faustina? Sarah? Candy bar. That's right. St. Um, Maria Faustina Kowalski. In her vision of the divine mercy, this was what was, was, uh, was on, the, I believe, the way the story is told is at the bottom of the painting. Jesus, I trust in you. Very simple, very powerful prayer when we're engaged in the spiritual battle. So let's end the talk with St. Paul. This is the year of St. Paul. And in, Saint, and in Ephesians 1.18.23, St. Paul proclaims this. He says, May the eyes of your hearts be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope that belongs to his call. What are the riches of glory and his inheritance among the holy ones? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power for us who believe in accord with the exercise of his great might, which he worked in Christ, raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every principality, authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things beneath his feet, and gave him as head over all the things to the church, which is his body, okay, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Ephesians 1.18 talks about that hope that we have to have in our hearts. Okay. I think I went over, but nobody tell Chris. Okay. Any questions that you have? Question right here, we'll let you have the mic. Um, I, I want to ask you a clarification of something and then a more in-depth question, if I may. You were talking about the laws in the Netherlands, the euthanasia laws. When you were talking about these different age categories that can 
request to be euthanized. You're talking about anybody, even if somebody's perfectly healthy. Yep. Any perfectly healthy adult can just go to a doctor and be euthanized. Right. Um, for no reason. Right. Especially, well, especially at the level of those over 18. Um, I do not believe that there's anything in the statute that says there has to be any type of extenuating circumstance. That's insane. <laughs> That's where they're at. Wow. You know, Washington um, had a bill introduced. Oregon has it here in this country. Oregon's law is a little tighter. It's a little more specific in that you have to have some, you have to have two docs sign off on it that there's some pathology or underlying condition or um, but it's very open at the same time, and, and we're seeing more and more deaths in Oregon. In Montana, they have it now by the decree of one circuit or district court judge who said that there's a right in, our, in the Montana Constitution to be euthanized. Now, that's being appealed, but it's, this is what's happening in our country. So thank you. What's okay. your second question? Um, I want to know um, about the church's position on the death penalty and how it is compared to the church's position on abortion. I recently got into a very heated discussion with a, a Catholic lady who told me the church views it the same way. We're not allowed to have freedom of thought on the issue of capital punishment. And I didn't understand it that way. And um, I would just like you to tell me what, you're, what you say, right. have to say about That's this. a very good question, and it's a point that needs to be made. Um, one of the things that you're going to likely respond, and it's kind of like the Phil Donahue effect that we talked about. If you talk about abortion or embryonic stem cell research, um, the person's going to come back, well, what about war? What about the death penalty? Okay, what about poverty? All right? Be prepared for that. So you have to know the church's positions on what is just war. What is the position on death penalty? So that you can make the clarification and the distinctions. The church's position on death penalty in a nutshell is this. It is not an intrinsic evil like abortion is. Okay? Direct abortions are an intrinsic evil. The death penalty is not an intrinsic evil. And what they mean by intrinsic is in any and every situation. Okay? So through the history, the church has allowed the death penalty occur. All right? But what has happened recently, and if, if you read this in the catechism, and also, it, it comes from Evangelium Vitae, you know, Pope John Paul um, started to develop this teaching, is that the death penalty as, as practiced today, we live in a modern society, all right? We live in an advanced technological society. And if we can house a person, okay, without putting somebody in harm's way, all right, then we should not adhere to the death penalty and we should not kill that person for the for the, the the heinous crime that they committed all right but it's not a straight across the board clear line in the sand like abortion is all right there are many states that do not have the death penalty north dakota doesn't have it minnesota doesn't have it iowa doesn't have it uh wyoming does not have it and i don't believe montana has it nebraska does nebraska it's on the statutes that it's it's by chair okay it's not even by lethal injection, but they haven't killed somebody for a long time. But you see all these other surrounding states, um, they don't have the death penalty, and they are properly housing uh, the inmates that, that, that would have been on death row. So that's basically the position, is that we should not resort to the death penalty if we can house these persons and, and defend others against their assaults, which may happen.
you can is if that's one if that's the only way really of, of defending innocent human life it, it's basically evolved into a doctrine that says it's 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 not an intrinsic evil but the the circumstances which it can be adhered to in our modern society especially in an advanced society such as the United States say versus a third world country uh, we should not be engaging in the death penalty and that's been the position of the United States bishops is that we need to try to repeal and we need to try to end the use of the death penalty in this country because of the adverse effects that it, not, it has against the dignity of human life at this point the balance the burdens outweigh any benefits that, that could happen any other questions just wait Kelly most often you find the death penalty wanting to be used to punish or for retribution or even revenge and that is definitely not in in Catholic teaching to be used in that sense so in the United States when they are killing people most often it's because uh, out of revenge and because someone committed a heinous crime and you want them dead um, not because they can't be housed or and, and that's that's where we need to profess that even heinous criminals have dignity and respect that needs to um, you need to respect their dignity and right so it's got to be other questions that's a good question any other questions comments thoughts gripes this is the first time I've done this one um, oh we have a question there she's got a gripe no, well, I'm just kidding. I'm just wondering, um, I liked your elevator speech part thing or whatever, but um, do you have an elevator speech or an elevator pitch for fellow Catholics that say, well, I'm not going to throw my pro-life beliefs on someone else to try and bring them back to the Catholic doctrine in 20 seconds? Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of, the, one of the ways that you can respond to that direct line of argument is is um, is bring in the issue of slavery, okay? Bring in the issue of slavery, and you can say, you know, at the time, in 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 the in the middle eighteenth nineteenth century, slave owners that said the exact same thing. They said, you know, um, don't impose your religion on me, or I'm not going to. Excuse me, um, the northerners should not impose their religion on us, okay? Um, and, and you know the same line of argument was made but then you can go back to the central point the dignity of the human person we must defend and we must respect all persons we must defend and respect those um, who should not be held in slavery who should not be segregated by the color of their skin and we must do the same for those those children who uh, we cannot because it's a justice issue all right it goes to the justice and, and if you try to present it in that way, with, a, with an analogy or with a similar situation, um, you can, you know, maybe breach a wall or a barrier that is up there. Now, you're going to have to come up with your own language and the way that you feel comfortable saying that. But, you know, I often find that people stop and think about that, okay? Um, there are certain things that should not ever be done. And, and we're not imposing uh, our religion. We're trying to uh, defend justice. Okay? And justice is everybody's business, all right? Whether you're a slave owner or not, whether you are a woman uh, or whether you're a man and cannot have an abortion, okay? You know, it's a justice issue, and we as human beings need to speak out and defend uh, and prevent injustice when it occurs, occurs in our society. Does that help? 
Any other questions? So what'd you think? Was it too long? No? Did you like the visuals? Was it in, did it help keep you engaged a little bit? Okay. Any other questions? All right, well thank you.